0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, this, uh, this sutta is called the Kamsaka Sutta. Um, there's a, there's quite a bit of metaphor, uh, in the Buddha's answer to some, um, direct, but as you'll see, rather, um, vague and conceptual questions. And the Buddha's final answer is his final answer to all confusion and all seeking is that you won't know until you actually develop the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is, is what the Buddha provided all of us. To develop those things that we're seeking most of what we're seeking is rooted in ignorance and self-reference but through the eightfold path we'll be able to recognize that so the questions that uh, two two months in the original sangha asked and were answered by other members of the sangha um it's kind of like that thing be careful what you ask for because you might just get it they're getting, they're getting the answers that they ask for. They simply don't know how to ask the right questions. So let me read the sutra. Two monks of the Buddha Sangha were talking, one asked the other, to what extent is one's vision said to be well-purified? And again, that word vision could have mystical connotations. It simply means, as it relates to the Dhamma, right view, the way that we see ourselves in relation to the world. To what extent is one's vision said to be well-purified? One of the answers was, when one knows as it actually is, the origination and the passing away of the sixth sense base. The sixth sense base are our five physical senses and the sixth sense of consciousness. But it's important in reference to the Dhamma that the Buddha never talked about consciousness in the way we do. Uh, Even they did during his time, as consciousness has some kind of grand connotation that we're all part of, and cosmic consciousness. There may be such a thing, I'm not aware of it, uh, but the Dhamma does not relate to something like that. There's no cosmic consciousness. Consciousness, as the Buddha describes it, and we we use it here, is simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths until that ignorance is recognized and abandoned. So the six sense base is the, the, the five physical senses and that sixth sense of consciousness, or ongoing thinking. It is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. Dissatisfied satisfied with that answer, they asked another monk the same question. When one knows as it actually is the origination and the passing away of the five clinging aggregates, it is to this extent that one's vision is said to be purified. So this particular monk found his understanding through applying the Dhamma to the five clinging aggregates, and I won't review that, um, but we'll get to that. But it's just another um, theme of the Dhamma, but it's not the entire Dhamma. So the questions are being asked and answered in, in too narrow a way. And, and as we get through this, you'll see that the Buddha answers these questions not by, by presenting another concept or a fragment of the Dhamma, but responding with the entire practice. Still dissatisfied, they ask another monk the same question. And he answers, when one knows as it actually is the origination and the passing away of the four great elements, earth, fire, wind, and water, it is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. So understanding the the physicality of our world through the understanding the element, but also notice that each and every one of the monks that are answering are referencing the impermanence of all things. The arising and the passing away. In in their particular case, it's it's a a too narrow of a focus. Still dissatisfied, he asks another monk the same question. He answers, when one knows as it actually is, that all conditioned things that are are subject to cessation, it is to this extent that one's vision is said to be well purified. Now, that's a profound answer that Kandana gave during the Buddha's very first teaching of the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, the first teaching of the Four Noble Truths. Some people call it uh, the first time that they set the wheel in motion. Those misunderstanding the Dhamma will call it the first of the three turnings of the wheel. The Buddha only turned one wheel, the wheel of the Four Noble Truths. But understanding impermanence is key to understanding the Dhamma. So they're all right in that sense. But understanding impermanence in a much broader application is... Um, is true dharma practice still dissatisfied? They seek the Buddha. He tells them of the answers to his questions. The Buddha replies, "Friend, it is as if a man had never seen a certain tree that changes appearance often—a difficult to describe tree, a riddle tree. And the, 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 there's there's trees that are still called riddle, riddle tree in some of the lore that's brought forward uh, in in modern." that don't really relate to the sutra, but you might hear it, the riddle tree. They would ask someone to describe a riddle tree. They say that the tree is black as a burnt stump. This is how the tree looked at the time. Dissatisfied with this answer, they ask another to describe the riddle tree. They tell him that this tree has no bark, and its pods explode. This is how the tree looked at the time that that person observed it. So again, the Buddha is describing, creating too narrow a view from too narrow and an uninformed view of what's occurring. We take, we take every we, we do this with everything. We take objects that we identify with and place value on, even if this, the value is I don't want this, it's still a value, and use that to describe our entire existence. Underlying that thought is that even this is impermanent and it's because of our view that we're creating uh, an objectified reality about something that is completely impersonal. Dissatisfied with that answer, they ask another to describe a riddle tree. They tell him that this tree has thick foliage with dense shade. Of course, this is how the tree looked at the time. In the same way, the Buddha continues, what these people of integrity were focused on when their vision became well purified is the way that they answered, which is understandable, too. That that was their their big aha moment. Now notice that the Buddha is not referring to, to current teachers, of which there were still many in the original Sangha besides the Buddha. These are these are Dhamma practitioners that have developed the Dhamma to a certain point and describe it in the way that their understanding developed. Suppose, friends, that there were a royal, the, the Buddha's word, suppose, friends, that there were a royal frontier forest with strong walls and ramparts and six gates, the six, uh, in it would be a wise, experienced, intelligent gatekeeper to keep out those he didn't, he didn't know and to let in those he did. A swift pair of messages coming from the east would say to the gatekeeper, where my good man as the commander of this fortress? He would say, there he is, sirs, sitting in the central square. The swift pair of messengers, delivering their accurate report to the commander, that word is important, the accurate report to the commander of the fortress, would then go back by the route by which they had come. That's what's familiar with them. Then a swift pair of messengers coming from the west and the north and the south would say to the gatekeeper, where, my good man, is the commander of this fortress? So no matter what direction you come to, you have to identify where the commander is. He would say, there he is, sir. Sitting in the central square, the swift paled messengers delivering their accurate report to the commander of the fortress would then go back by the route by which they had come, meaning they one came from the east, went back through the east; one came from the west, went back through the west, etc., etc. The Buddha now says, "I have given you this simile, friend, to convey a message. The message is this: the fortress stands for this body, for us. For, you could say for this body that we that we." Um, find ourselves in, but it's also metaphor or reference to the world, meaning all of our experiences, not the outer world. this it, it takes us a little bit of explanation. The outer world that we experience, no matter we could be watching William Shatner getting off, shot off into space. I oh, if that happened a week or so ago. That's still happening within me, even though the, my focus is out there on the rocket and it got out, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That whole experience, even though uh, I know the physical, the physics of it is occurring outside of my body, the entire experience of it occurs within my body—a mind united in its body. That's what the Buddha is referring to. In this body, the, this, the fourth stands for this body, composed of the four elements, born of mother and father. A very important line. There's nothing magical or mystical. Everybody is born of a mother and father with human beings. Nourished with rice and barley gruel. Every human being needs nourishment. Subject to constant rubbing and abrasion, the difficulties of life. The breaking and falling apart, the frailty of life the Buddha is referring to. The six gates stand for the six internal sense media, the five physical senses and the sixth sense of our ongoing thinking, consciousness. The, gatekeep, the gatekeeper stands for mindfulness. Very important line. If our mindfulness is rooted in right mindfulness, resting in jhana meditation and framed by the eightfold path, then that is a useful gatekeeper. Because that gatekeeper now can practice, what you hear me say all the time, wise restraint. Wise restraint is dharma practice in life as life occurs, which is the only place that we can actually practice and develop the dharma right here and right now. So our minds have to be here, right here, and right now. We have to develop the quality of a gatekeeper within our minds. A swift pair of messengers stands for a tranquil mind and true insight. That tranquil mind, having developed true insight into the three marks of existence, of course knows the direction. But it it knows that direction from its own development, from its own experience. The commander of the fortress stands for consciousness. So if our consciousness is well-focused and well-framed by the Eightfold Path, that's a useful consciousness. If our consciousness is still scattered, lacking concentration and right mindfulness or refined mindfulness, that, that commander of the fortress can't command anything, can it? It will be letting in any messenger or any message into its own understanding. Just think about that for a moment. If that's the quality of our mind, we can't hope to develop anything in a, particular, uh, in a particular framework or in a particular direction because our minds are simply too scattered. We have no commander within us. The central square stands for the four great elements. Again, but it also stands for the world and for our mind united in our body. The earth property, the liquid property, the, the fire property, and the wind property. That's us. That's, that's what we're made of. The accurate report stands for unbinding. Seeing things clearly allows us to unbind from views that are ignorant of four noble truths, the essence of the Dhamma. unbinding from those views that we cling to, and we cling to them because we use them to establish a fabricated me in a fabricated world. That fabrication, that fabricated person is the human being that is subject to stress and suffering, confusion, disappointment, and ongoing distraction. It's the same human being that awakens up. In other words, that's not, that fabricated me is not the enemy. It's not something I should discount. It's not something I should be ashamed of in any way. In fact, it's the beginning of ownership. When I say, yes, this is what I've done to myself. I've created a fabricated self. I've held it out as me and it's creating stress and distraction and confusion. When we can, when we can recognize that. Then we can start this period of unbinding or undoing that process. The route by which they had come. Notice that the route was four different routes by the four different messengers, but it was the same path on that route. The route by which they had come stands for the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right right action, Right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. The sutta ends there at that most important point. It begins with with a confused two people who eventually ask the Buddha where their confusion is coming from. They don't place the question that way, but the Buddha knows that. And we all know that now, too, that that's, that's a confused mind. And he points that confused mind back to the only path that can develop understanding, develop the eightfold path. Notice he doesn't say, and do other things, which the Buddha could the Buddha was, excuse me. The Buddha was aware, through his own direct experience, of all the the myriad um, so-called spiritual and new-agey, to them, uh, practices uh, of his time. He practiced them all, mastered them all very quickly, and, and abandoned every one of them. And it wasn't until he focused on just this, was he able to extricate himself from his own confusion and uh, and ignorant views. And then he sat post his awakening for a few more weeks considering how can I teach this? How can I pierce that veil of ignorance that he now knew every human being suffers from? And in that contemplation, he went back into his own awakening process, that's taught in the Nagara Sutta that we're going to get to in a few weeks. And in and recounting his awakening experience, he also recounts how he developed this eightfold path and why he teaches this path and no other. And again, those that have been listening to my classes know I say that over and over again. I say that from my own experience. It was only until it wasn't until I only focused on this eightfold path and abandoned a nine or ten or twelve or an infinite fold path. Or a two of path, like a one-fold path, meaning just meditation, uh, made popular by the Yogacara or Mind Only or Zen school. It was only then, when I integrated an eight-fold path and began to practice it, that it made any difference in my life. And then, engaging in that path wholeheartedly and with that clear focus, I was able to develop the Dhamma as the Buddha intended. I was able at that point to take true refuge. And then it had a real... um, a real and immediate effect on the way that I think and the way that I concentrate, and that's what you all are learning. And I would bet that each and every one of you would be able to say, "Yes, I understand that. Through that, it is through the Eightfold path that I'm developing concentration and refined mindfulness." So, uh, well, I'd like to go around the room and hear what you have to say. Uh, Jeff was the first one on, so let's get him. Let's get him up first. How
1: are you, Jeff? I'm well, thanks. Hi, everybody um uh, well i can certainly relate to the uh the metaphor of a fortress um that that feels very apropos um i i can say in my case the gatekeeper didn't have the wisdom of the right view to be able to tell who to let in and who not um, so there were some interesting things going on with that um no, it's 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 uh the
0: uh
1: <laughs> the eightfold path is is definitely the key to that. I, I know that uh I've done a lot of wandering and bumping around in the wilderness and uh it it's good to learn that there's a path.
0: Yeah, um, yeah thank you, Jeff. And it and it's it's a it's a well defined and easily understood path. Everybody can understand it. It doesn't take any special knowledge. Uh, in the beginning, it's difficult to integrate it for a few reasons. One is, even though everybody knows what the word right speech means or right view, we all know what it means, but it, it's, an, it's, an unfamiliar, um, it's an unfamiliar concept at first, what it really means, what right view means. But again, even, even a brilliant teacher like me can't explain it. Like the Buddha, I can only point the way. It's, you have to have that experience for you to, to own it and to make it useful but again it's a very simple
2: and direct path thank you Jeff. tom how are you i'm good thanks uh john yeah um yes i guess this sort of um simile or metaphor of the the fortress um so i've done a lot of um a lot of sort of work throughout my life in education and i sort of uh liken it a little bit to a it's like a you know a classroom where or a school where there's just no rules and there's no nobody knows what they're doing and everybody's just going after you know you're a kid right and you just think hey I want to eat chocolate at eight am and you just go and do it because you think it's tempting to do and it's and so um do it. yeah yeah so <laughs> do I actually. <laughs> there's not 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 too much nowadays, not as much as I used to, but yeah, like that idea that you you, you have a sort of a yeah anarchy almost or you have um you in it and it although it might be tempting for those kids in a school or whatever to to um get whatever they want, you know because they don 't know any better, right they think, hey, I want to do this or do that, and that 's how children are um, of course, without a certain Without certain principles by which that school or whatever is governed, and without um, some kind of discipline, um, at the end of the day, it's not going to lead to to the well-being of anybody who's part of that school. So, right. I've just um, you know a bit ripped off the the fortress metaphor and just just seen what how it that, that's what it sort of means to me, if you like. Well, at least that's how I could relate it, um, and and. Yeah, so I, I was one of those, you know, basically kids in a school or whatever it might be, just just um, going after whatever and, and hoping, thinking things will make me happy or um, yeah. without really having any kind of really uh, meaningful uh, or wise, let's say, um, structure around which to sort of build my life. So um, that's what the Dharma gives me. And so that's what I sort of take from this, this um, yeah, this, this, uh, sutta.
0: Yeah. Um, it, yeah. You really said, Tom, sure. that the, the, the fortress could be, and is, uh, either, uh, helpful to us when it's seen correctly, or we could, you can see the fortress as what we created out of a mind rooted in ignorance. And it's, it's that fortress that's keeping us. From, from true understanding, isn't it? Uh, the Buddha used to refer to, or did always refer to, his life prior to his awakening, especially his life on the palace grounds. The, the, the Buddha grew up, uh, his father was one of the wealthiest uh, leaders uh, in northern India at the time. Uh, he referred to that as a confining place. And he always referred to the world as a confining place when we're entangled in it, much like a fortress. is. You remind me of a quick story. You know, I always love to tell these stories. When I was six years old, uh, my grandmother, there were six of us kids. And whenever my grandmother would visit, she always gave each of us five bucks, which was a lot of money way back then, especially for her. And we were expected, my father had this big old gun safe, but he never had any guns in it. We always expected to give the money to one of my parents, and they put it in the safe for safekeeping until some time in the future. I never liked that idea. I wanted to live now. <laughs> And I was six years old. I snuck out of the house. I walked three miles to this market. I still remember the name, it was O'Connor's Market, and I bought five dollars worth of Tootsie Rolls. And man, I was the richest kid in the world. I can't believe I'm looking back, that was sixty years ago that I even tried to do that and did it. But talk about driven by greed, aversion, and diluted thinking, there it was even at six. So but I enjoyed every one of the Tootsie Rolls, I think.
2: I don't know what a Tootsie roll is, John, yeah, but I'll I'll Google yeah, it later. A
0: chocolate kind of chewy you know Maybe, all right i think it's, it's new us it.
2: we'll,
3: we'll yeah, check have it out
0: have it. i like them. It. it was five bucks worth of six-year-olds it was a big box for for a six-year-old to drag back home with them but i did <laughs> ate every one of them and got sick alex how are you
4: <laughs> yeah i'm okay john um i'm struggling a bit with this one to be honest i'm i don't know if it's just because i'm i've got a very busy mind today um so i'm going to take a noble silence i i just to say i enjoyed the start. the riddle tree stuff was interesting about i guess it was talking about taking accepting different points of view um but then the 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 uh i can't even remember what it was the fortress stuff I've, i it's just lost me to be honest I, I think i'm going to need to revisit this one <laughs>
0: yeah that's fine but the the as in all the suttas, the, 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 the key message is, if you want to develop it, you follow an eightfold path. Okay. Because that, that's really the answer. Yeah, and, you know, metaphors, metaphors are useful, but not in a universal sense. As I was restoring these suttas, I always kind of struggled with, should I even include the metaphor? I mean, this one you have to. There's no sutta without the metaphor. Mm. Um, but what I found is some people relate directly to metaphor and they get it, and some people just don't. So it's not, it's not I, universally useful.
4: I normally do. I normally do quite a lot. I, I love the metaphors and the imagery. But um, this just seems quite. There's a lot of layers to this one. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But um, yeah. I,
0: could be my presentation i tend to read rather fast too so yeah it's it,
4: yeah I, it, it's a, a little bit fast but it might just be my state of mind today i've just had a very busy day it's all, it's all good
0: uh, we used to have a sangha member um and she was great because when i started reading too fast she would just interrupt me. Uh-uh. John, john john and i know <laughs> and, and i slowed down but,
4: all right i'll remember that next time uh, <laughs> it's fine
0: you all know who popeye was i am what i am you know <laughs> thank you all
1: uh, right, John, how are you? Very good, John. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. For the others in the group, I'm a, somewhat of a new guy here. But, um, you know, I mentioned the riddle tree before, and uh, I look at that as people. Uh, every person looks at something. We all look at the same thing, but we all see it differently.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you have these four monks, or, or how the story goes, and you're seeing different versions of the same thing. And that happens all the time. And um, that's how I, I see that. And I, I know I see things. And the fortress to me, um, is an, is it, this is one of the more common sense suitors for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of makes sense in a way. Uh, you know, we, we, fil- we need to learn to filter. Well, the crap has come in already. I'm a victim of it. So we're kind of dumping it. Uh, but through mindfulness, we can, we can filter what's, what we know is false and not real. Uh, allow in what the truth is, or as we as we're seeing it and interpreting it, and be a bit wiser in our decision making once that information's come in. And um, you know, everything we look at is pre. We have, we carry these biases and prejudices that uh, and judgments of things. I'm very judging. I can see a room full of people, and I will judge them all before I've, I've spoken one word to any of them. And that's something, a characteristic of mine I know is not, is not, is totally false. (laughs) And I recognize Yes, exactly. And um, so long as I recognize it, uh, the next step is, you know, how do you go about um, developing the right concentration discipline? And that kind of hit me here. I'm like, that's what we're doing here. We're concentrating on the breath and carrying it wherever that goes from there. And so that's this makes there's a lot of stuff to read that I have to reread and reread. This one, when you sent it in the email, I'm like, oh, I'll go in on this one today. Uh, was came in a little bit easier to, to grasp for my part of it. And I liked uh, Tom's reference to uh, the school reference and needing discipline. And uh, that 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 that's a lot. We need a lot of discipline schools today. Uh, yeah. But uh, that sort of that that. Count it with
0: me. And if you eat $5 worth of Tootsie rolls, I'll tell you, you're going to throw up. Yeah. Well, I, was, I was sick for a long time. But <laughs> I still think it was money well spent, though. Thank
1: you, John. <laughs> Those rolls are good. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And what, what John just pointed out is how important a well focused and well informed song is. Tom just taught a very valuable lesson to John. We do this all the time. You know, that, again, that's why I keep uh, reinforcing that. You know, it's not just me. It's a well-informed and well-focused saga that that brings us all towards awakening. So thank you for all that. Louise, how are you?
5: Hi, guys. Um, I'm good, thank you. I I also have had a really full day and um, the meditation felt really uh, painful to me, like standing in a motorway with lots of busy cars flying backwards and forwards in front of me and not doing anything. And so I felt like it was hard. It was hard work, actually. And um, so interesting then that we should go into this space of understanding this a little bit more. And I guess um, what didn't sit with me is the fact that there was a gatekeeper at all because we're told, you know, allow everything in. And I realised that actually... Um, I've come to my own metaphor of this and I understand it as there's a gate, thoughts are allowed in the gate, there they meet the gatekeeper, which I've called the discerner, and the discerner is there to then use the breath and the thoughts are allowed in to meet the discerner, but they're not allowed in through the front door. So it's almost like there's two gates. So gatekeeper isn't just a complete block, like you're... um, and that's what i don't understand because the the principles of allow everything in i think how does gatekeeper fit with that but what
0: well, is it i am sorry, where where did that principle of letting everything in come in where, where
5: was it not like you know allow allow everything allow it in let it go allow it in let it I go know,
0: where, is that something you gain from the, the that, that you glean from the dharma
5: well from these sessions yes the allow allow what wants to come in feel it let it go. Don't make it anything, don't make it about me, don't don't yep. turn it into anything. But when we talk about there being a gatekeeper, it seems a bit counterintuitive to the principle of allowing in. That's so what, what I realize sense. is so what I realize is there's almost like two levels to this, which is yep. thoughts come into the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper is the discerner, but the thoughts are not allowed in the front door. It's different
0: yes so the, the the two levels are actually two two slightly different applications of consciousness or of yeah. concentration and mindfulness so on our cushions we don't we don't alight on any feeling or thought that's how we deepen concentration when feelings or thoughts arise and pass away we simply let them and come back to the sensation of breathing through that concentration we're able to develop and, and concentration and mindfulness are two different things. And, and this is where I think you have a little bit of confusion. So concentration supports refined mindfulness that allows us to hold in mind the eight factors of the eightfold pair. And it is that level of mindfulness that then frames and acts as the gatekeeper. So there's another sutta that we're going to get to further along in this series called the Vataka Santhana Sutta. And in that sutta, the Buddha concludes it by saying through the dharma, we gain the ability to think what we want to think when we want to think it, which which refers to the metaphor of the gatekeeper, but also wise discernment. So it's an it's a um, it's an unconcentrated, constantly distracted mind that will grasp at everything that's occurring outside, and and feel like well I got to let everything in. The Dhamma allows us to develop wise restraint, meaning I don't have to I can. I can choose, mindfully, in this moment, what I am letting in. And that is, that's true liberation. That's true control of my mind and my body. And even that word is something that is um, uh, subtly discounted today. We shouldn't control anything. Well, think about that. for. I mean, I, that really is kind of a, the new agey uh, mantra. Don't control, don't control. Well, the Buddha taught, and that was common during the Buddha's time, he taught us that if we want to develop... A well-concentrated mind, we have to learn how to control our mind. And that's the basis of the, the practice and the basic method that we use. Now, from that well-concentrated mind, we can control what comes in. Some of it is, is a, um, uh, a preemptive way of engaging in the world. In other words, we, don't, we just don't go out and do the things or expose ourselves or put ourselves in situations which simply no longer serve us well. That's the beginning of wise restraint, isn't it? Um, Just maybe a little bit of a silly example. When I stopped drinking and using drugs, I stopped hanging out in bars and hanging around with drug addicts. That was a practical application of, in my case, wise restraint there. As my Dharma practice developed, um, I became more refined in that. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of movies. I I don't listen to a lot of music, although I do in very specific applications. I don't talk to a lot of people who, who annoy me simply because I don't need to. I'm not, I'm not out in the world in that way. Um, but it's all part of this process of living as a human being in this moment and not being distracted by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. And by your questions, you're, I, I can see that you are developing that. I hope my answer was helpful to you.
5: Can I, can I have a little bit more time? Can I understand? I, I want to understand it because I've got a question at the back of this, and I want to understand it because then I might not have the question. <laughs> um, the when when you're talking about um, when you're talking about letting in, let's say just the concept of letting in. Uh-huh. Um, I see there have been two levels to letting in, right? The the first level is the fact that you just let in the thought and then there's letting that thought in even deeper. Like there's allowing the so you might have just a, a flashing thought that's like, oh, um I'm really uncomfortable here. And that's allowing the thought in. But allowing the thought to go deeper is, I need to do something about this, like this yeah. uncomfort isn't. So what I'm understanding is that the gatekeeper meets at the thought of, so the thought comes in, I'm really uncomfortable. The gatekeeper meets the uncomfortable thought, discerns it and doesn't take it any deeper. Yeah. So I see there like being like two two gates, not one gate. <laughs> That's yeah, what I, I'm
0: trying to understand. Like you're absolutely right. That yes, we, we gain that wise discernment to know. In other words, I'm I, I'm uncomfortable in this moment, and yeah. so the distraction would be: okay, where is it coming from? Why do I feel it? Who's to blame? And we get, and that is ongoing distraction. Instead of when what the Buddha teaches is, it's enough to know. In mm-hmm. fact, it's all that we can know about this moment. Is in this moment I'm uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. the wise person says, I mean, it, this isn't a, a process, but the wise person would say, So what? Take a breath. Yeah. Because so I know is, there that two, is there two
5: gates then? Is there two gatekeepers rather than one gatekeeper?
0: I guess. I mean, I, and I, and what I would say is, if that's how you find this to be useful, yes, I, I would say that, that my gatekeeper can do both jobs at the same time.
5: Right. So that leads me to that leads me to my question then is um how do we avoid the gatekeeper from becoming exhausted?
0: Oh what an what wow, what a great question. It is only through a well concentrated mind, but that develops over time within Dhamma practice. Because mm-hmm. if we're if we're lacking concentration, there's simply too much information to deal with. We can't do it. We we will become exhausted. Mm-hmm. And and I know this this is an unsatisfactory answer at first, but it's the best answer. Is it is only through your own developing concentration that you'll understand that you have the ability to do that. And it, it and the the gatekeeper is a perfect metaphor for that. I am guarding my sense gate so I don't exhaust myself.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And by a mind that's constantly grasping, I'm always going to be exhausted, aren't I?
5: I kind of get where you're coming from, actually, about this, because I kind of see that the more we train our peaceful, calm mind, the less we will seek any outside distractions, the less outside thoughts that we have, like you say, the less stimulus that we are in day to day that's creating this busyness in our mind, the less the discerner, the less the gatekeeper gets exhausted. Yes. And the calmer and then the gatekeeper starts to work to create that calm, I guess. I, I, I think I, I think I'm starting to understand it. Um yeah,
0: you are. Um and the gatekeeper isn't creating the calm. Calm is that calm is the result of a well focused dharma mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. It's not something we even we, we even we don't grasp after, we don't even look so much to as that's the goal, even though it is. Mm-hmm. it simply arises. But mm-hmm. Louise, you experienced that. And I know you said you had an uncomfortable meditation session. Yes. But if, if you think back when you, and, and, and let me say it this way, your meditation session today, mm-hmm. while it was uncomfortable, was extremely skillful based, by your, based on your words. Because every time you recognize that you were uncomfortable, you came back to the sensation of breathing.
5: I was constantly being the gatekeeper. I was constantly going, that's a nice thought, not put that away. Great, yeah, that goes to one side. I was being the gatekeeper. And that's when you started to go into the gatekeeper um, analogies. I was thinking, that's exhausting.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, it's exhausting, maybe because you took it a little too far, but you were mm-hmm. practicing jhana as it's intended, meaning mm-hmm. you, you recognize that you're distracted by a feeling or a thought arising and passing away. You take a breath and you abandon the thought or the feeling. In the next moment, that same feeling or a different one or a different thought might arise. In jhana meditation, we simply recognize that we're distracted without evaluating, without placing a value judgment on it. Come back to the sensation of breathing. And so what I'm saying is that you had a very skillful jhana meditation session because it deepened your concentration. So we need to be... um, Uh, discerning about even our meditation sessions we don't judge them if we're engaging in this simple technique of recognizing that we're distracted by feelings and thoughts arising and passing away and then coming back to the sensation of breathing both of those components are jhana meditation it's not just being mindful of our breath because if we're doing that we're we're probably beyond the need for meditation but i don't know anybody including the buddha that, that did that that's not a human characteristic uh, I got a, a question a few years ago from a, a, a new, uh, someone who was new to this, but I could, he sensed the agitation in their email, and it was, "Why did the Buddha keep meditating after they awakened?" Well, I immediately knew that that student saw meditation as a chore rather than a refuge, but that was the answer. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't a human being who developed this incredible refuge of a well-concentrated mind simply continue it? Of course he would, and we do. So you are developing it as exactly as it's intended. Your questions show that. And I think if you look back at your experience, you realize that you deepen your concentration today in an uncomfortable meditation session. Am I, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Do you think that's a true statement?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really aware of the, the gatekeepers, which is why it's you know really um, resonant. today's session should be about that as a metaphor so yeah thank you thanks for the extra time as well thanks so much
0: yeah thank you so much for bringing it out and for asking such important questions this is what it's all about so thank you louise jordan how are you today
3: yeah i'm good thank you um unfortunately i missed all of the the teaching because i i rent out camera equipment and the guy came um far too late and had to go out and meet him. He got lost. So yeah, I missed. I missed it all apart from what you guys were, you guys were talking about afterwards. Um,
0: well, I'll, get it, I'll get it edited as quick as I can and get it. And I'll post it. Um, probably won't be until tomorrow. But uh, and if okay. you want to know, you can send me an email when you post it, and I'll send it. You know, I'll send. I'll reply when I do. Great. Uh,
3: d- do you update them on Spotify? I saw. I saw some of your some of your teachings were there, or yeah. is that?
0: I didn't know they were. They might be getting kind of hijacked, over there. or
3: maybe it um, was, um, maybe it was Apple, Apple
0: Podcast. I not remember. Yeah, they, they're on, they're on iTunes. Uh, again, I don't yeah. post there, but I think they, they somehow they get on there uh, <laughs> on the on the website. I use I use a, a service called Podbean that you can subscribe to through the website, and that gets all. You'll be notified of, of new postings if you subscribe to that Podbean podcast. Okay, cool. Um, I've been a bit remiss in getting. Um, getting things posted i have all the dhammapada uh, talks posted now i'm up to date but i'm way behind these in fact I'm, i'll be working on it today um but i'll try to post this one yeah, i've been working on getting um talk three through ten posted but i'll I'll get this one up uh so you can listen to it um and mateo too mateo haven't isn't here today but i'll, I'll get it up within a day or two if you don't see
3: it and you want me to let you know,
0: just
3: send me an email so I have your email address. I appreciate that. Thank you. Very good. Um, Please. Yeah, I just wanted to comment, and I noticed, like in the meditation today. Well, I've probably been doing um, classes for about a year now, and my mind was still kind of, yeah, half in the meditation, half falling asleep, half still getting loads of um, loads of thoughts that. Um, Sometimes it would take me—I don't know—twenty seconds till I realised I was on a. I had a thought that I needed to um, bring it back to the breath. Yeah. Mm, I don't think I've improved at meditating in a year. <laughs> um, maybe it's just, yeah. I mean, I'm doing it every every other day, I guess, on average. Maybe. Oh, okay. a, um, but but yeah, I mean, um, is it is that an issue? Is it? I'm kind of at the same level.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, again, it, it's, it's a matter of right effort. Are you using the guided meditations on the website, on my website?
3: Yeah, I do some. I do like one day, um, one day that, and then the next day, um, what's that? Uh, Headspace one or another one I use just okay. to kind of...
0: To, to answer to... your question, I would say that the reason why you're not developing it much is because you're not practicing the method. So again... I'm not against anything else or any other teaching, and I'm not saying don't do it. But what I am saying is, if you want to develop jhana meditation, you need to stop other practices because you just your mind just doesn't work that way.
3: Mm. And
0: then you need to be consistent. Uh, what I would suggest you suggest to you, Jordan, even though you've been doing this for a year, is to start with with going on the website, listening to the guided meditation. but start with just a five minute. There's five to forty five minutes. Um, start with just five minutes twice a day. And if you can do that about 12 hours apart, that's a nice balance in a 24 hour day. Um, yeah, I would, again, I'm not against headspace, millions of people do it. And hundreds of people do this. Um, you know,
3: the, the waking up on I mean, yeah, Sam Harris.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just not, it's just not the way to develop jhana meditation. So and again, I'm not telling you what, what not to do. But if you want to develop this, do that start with five minutes twice a day around 12 hours apart. And I bet by even next week, you'll tell me that, yeah, you're, you're developing uh, concentration. I've never met someone who, um, or taught someone, who applied the Dhamma the way it's presented and didn't develop it. Every single person. And I've had plenty of students, I, I, I often say it this way, if everybody I ever taught kept coming to classes, I'd be teaching in an, in an arena, you know, with 25,000 people. That's just not the case. The Buddha taught a dollar, for those with his words, just a little speck of dust in their eyes, meaning those that were able to commit and practice his dharma. And I think you're one of them, but you won't know unless you do that. You know, so all those things, headspace and all the other practices and lineages uh, are all out there. Give yourself a chance to develop just this one and see if it works for you, because it's the only way you'll know. In fact, the sutta kind of relates to that, too. You know, if you want to know if the Eightfold Path works for you, practice the path. Okay. Yeah, I
3: definitely need to start doing the evening ones as evening meditation as well. I only I
0: yeah.
3: the I... one.
0: And again, just to start with five minutes because if you if you decide, well I gotta med- meditate twenty minutes or a half an hour twice a day, and you're just trying to start out, that's gonna kind of seem like way too much. You can't do it. Yeah. And just an FYI, I've been meditating about three hundred and eighteen years now. I've been meditating a long time. And I meditate, most, most of my practice is 30 minutes twice a day, because that is more than enough for me. Um, every now and then I'll feel like just sitting in meditation for a long period of time, usually when I don't have a lot going on. And I will, I'll just sit for an hour or two, but that's, that's rather rare for me. Um, and I came to these numbers, and the ones I recommend, because I've read hundreds and hundreds of the Buddha suttas. Many of them on jhana, jhana meditation. I never read one sutta where the Buddha says, if you're around for a year, you have to be meditating for X amount of time. If you're, you know, you got to nowhere. Nowhere does he say, does he mention a length of time. The Buddha's only admonition towards meditation is to go find the root of a tree or an empty hut. Meaning go find, a, go find some seclusion and do jhana. That's all he ever said. So the rest of it is up to us to decide how much we need to meditate. What I found is just this way. When you're starting out, five minutes, twice a day, and as you feel comfortable, gradually add some time. Uh, and I, I I bet you if you do that until next week, you're going to tell us all uh, that you you realize how, how readily you can develop concentration. So give it a shot, my friend.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. I, can I just add something, John? Please. Just yes. quickly on that, because it's definitely something that, resonates with me like um i i was before i used jhana meditation i went through lots of different practices including the ones that you mentioned and a lot more and i had exactly the same feeling on many 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 occasions um, and so it, it really did make a difference when i started about a little bit maybe about 15 16 months ago i started with just one practice Because the reality is with these other meditations, you're just being asked to do different things each time. And it's very difficult to nail down a skill when, you know, somebody else is saying that you've got to follow your body or you've got to do, you know, uh, loving kindness and all this. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with those practices. But um, having that focus on one thing just immediately, it simplified it for me. And the other thing that really, really helped me was this idea that, the only thing you're trying to do in in meditation is practice concentration.
3: Yes.
2: You let go of everything else. This is what I remember John mentioned because I always used to think I have to get into a state or it's it's just that. You're just there to try and concentrate mm-hmm. and, and and then start to reframe what a good meditation looks like, just like what Louise was saying, right? Like where rather than being like, "Oh my goodness, that was a waste of time, like I was so distracted in the last twenty minutes say, no, okay, I was super distracted, which is a re- reflection of my mind state at the moment. But, but you've, you've had, just r- look at, back on it and be like, well, during those last 20 minutes of, of, you know, my mind would have been just like that. Even if I wasn't meditating, I would have been totally chaotic. But thanks to the meditation on, let's say, five, let's say it's only five times during 20 minutes when you realize that your mind is distracted. Those are like five, you know, we use that phrase with COVID, like circuit breakers. Like it's almost like a circuit breaker for your mind, right? Where it's like yeah. you've, your mind is going off in a direction, and you're able to cut it, and then it will go off again. But then you'll cut it, and you're gradually developing that that okay. you know the gatekeeper. You're you're developing that skill to become a master gatekeeper, and it won't happen overnight. It's the hardest job to learn. It really, I, I mean, I would say it's, but it's, but but it can be done, and and even small improvements, you'll start to notice them, and you'll be like, <laughs> so I I'm, I still could easily have the perspective that i'm i can't do meditation very well which would be i could I, I could have that mindset but i've i i'm looking at it through a different lens now and i'm like wow thanks to that practice i've been able to to realize how crazy my mind is on x number of occasions even if it's only in a five minute meditation and and it becomes a lot more self affirming and self um uh, encouraging uh, that way um so don't worry about thinking i've got a concentrate for 20 minutes and nothing's going to come in like that's probably you know certainly not going to happen in the near future right but how many times can you can you create those circuit breaker moments where you're like you come back and you realize you know you come back to your breath um anyway just i don't know if that's help, helpful but i have been in exactly that situation and i and i still am sometimes but um having that focus on one practice has really really helped
3: yeah good to know uh, yeah i guess i was just um having some alternative like mental stimulation or let's practice like looking at the looker which is what um, um sam harris always um tries to looking at who's seeing and being aware of yourself anyway yeah it's just like a different mental challenge but yeah what you say both of you say definitely makes sense concentrate on concentrating um yeah if it's simple Give it a go Thank you. Tom,
0: that, that was Tom. so well said. That was it, probably the best explanation I've ever heard, including mine, about the importance of jhana meditation. Uh, and it is just that. It, no, If we're engaging in the method, and the method is simple, recognizing you're distracted, come back to the sensation of breathing, that is a successful meditation session, meaning it will deepen your concentration every time you do it. So we should lose the idea of, of qualifying our meditation sessions, we just do it. And when we're done, you know, when I'm done off my cushion, I'm done with meditation, I don't think about it. And, um, and long ago, I let go of placing a value judgment on it. Was it good? Was it bad? Did I feel this? Did I feel that? Because if I if I think that I need to feel good, after my meditation session, I'm still stuck in the first foundation of mindfulness, aren't I? I've, I've, I've really done nothing to increase my concentration. But if I recognize that this is all that I do, it's, as Tom said, it's just a skill to develop. The more I develop it, the more I own it. And then it serves as the foundation for the rest of our Dharma practice. So what a great class and uh, great support by all of you. So uh, your questions were supportive and some of the answers were just, just re- really uh, wonderful. So, uh, and Any other questions or comments? Um, uh, next Thursday, I have um I have a an a, a medical appointment. It's a pre-surgery appointment that I, I I'm trying to postpone, um, but because it's pre-surgery, the timing is kind of important. And so I might have to cut next Thursday's class uh, down to about a half an hour, but we'll still have it. Uh, but just so you know, and I think, uh, well we'll figure it. We'll figure out what happens. But if I can change it, I will, and we'll have a complete class. Uh, but we will meet next Thursday no matter what.
5: John, I wanted to ask just just quickly and tell me if I'm skipping ahead and being impatient, because I have a tendency for that. Um, But there are some things I'm sitting with in my conscious awareness at the moment around certain topics and ideas, I guess. And um, it would be really interesting for me to understand those through this new Buddhist lens that I'm now exploring. And I guess the question is, in these sessions... Is it only really space to discuss the allocated texts, or can we ask other questions outside of the teachings?
0: You, you, yeah, you can ask any question, Louise. Um, I would ask you to go, and if you haven't already, to, to read our purpose statement and our Sanga guidelines, because that prevents that prevents that provides a broad um, framework for for what we do in class. Uh, so I, I welcome every cl- every question you might have, but if it's a question about other practices, and why don't we practice that, or why don't I incorporate it, um, I would rather answer that question to you directly, only because I don't want to take time within the sangha to do that. First.
5: Yeah, it's, it's not. It's it's more about life themes like um, life themes that I might be exploring at the moment in terms of my own growth um, and looking at that through the lens of. Can you of give me one example. Sure. Um. So you know, I um <laughs> trying to decide if I want to be vulnerable or not, but I will. Um, so basically, um. I think I'm a very good discerner. I'm a very good gatekeeper. I don't allow very much in, <laughs> um, and that's not very good for intimacy and creating relationships and connections. And I'd be really interested in understanding a little bit more about um, relationships through the Buddhist lens. I guess.
0: Yes, that that is that kind of question is it's more than entirely appropriate. I would I would encourage you to bring that. And again, I appreciate your. Um, your level of of comfortability with us and with me. Um, So yes, the the entire Buddha's Dhamma resolves in our interpersonal relationships. That's where what I'm holding in mind, my true mindfulness is going to play out in my interpersonal relationships. Another way of saying that is if I want to know the quality of my mind, how am I getting along with people? Because that's where it's going to play out. It shouldn't be an external focus though. I recognize when I have a conflict with somebody, no matter what that person is doing, even if they got a rock that they're going to throw at my head, the conflict is within my own mind, not in them. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason why that's important is because the conflict in my mind is the only thing that I can, there's the word again, control. And actually, I can abandon any conflict. But yes, it's, it's just that way. It's just on these, um, these practical, uh, moment by moment experiences of our life that we should bring to Dhamma class and bring into our Dhamma. so and so is this
5: a theme coming later then interpersonal relationships might come later in in this study they, or
0: yes there's some suttas that directly right. address that you there's the story really. behind it has to do with something like that but there's all, um the, if you if you want to do a search on the kema sutra K H E M A Sutta, K-H-E-M-A Sutta. And that's a sutta where an accomplished nun is teaching her ex-husband. So it's very personal. Um, And I think you'll get a good example of that. If you you can't find it, just send me an email and I'll I'll send you the link. But there are some suttas that speak directly to interpersonal um, experiences. And there's some that in a general way, you could say the entire buddha Dharma speaks directly to interpersonal relationships. Because that's what we're doing. We're, We're understanding or I'm understanding or developing understanding of myself in relation to the external world. And this is where everything happens, right here, right now, in a mind united in its body. In order for us to have those meaningful experiences in interpersonal relationships, I have to have a mind that's united in its body and present for that interpersonal relationship. Meaning that it doesn't do me any good to be talking with you when my impression of you is taking my mind into the future or and you might remind me of someone in the past, and so that's clouding my, all of that takes me away from just being present with Louise or anyone else for that matter. And, you know, I would say by even asking the questions, that's something that you have a very skillful desire for and you recognize that it's it's missing. Most people don't recognize that that's what's missing in their life, is that real connection to what's occurring in this moment. So great questions and a great class. Uh, any, anything else? All right. I I mentioned about next Thursday, we will have a class, but it might be a short class. Um, And we'll finish with Metta as we always do. So again, just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duty and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing gladness. Sorry. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart can one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, By not holding to fixed view, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.